You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome to America's Web Radio. This is Ron Bachman, and you're listening to Healthcare Insight. Today, I want to talk about this new stimulus bill that uh, President Biden and the Democrats are pushing through and um, its impact on Obamacare or the Affordable Care Act. Uh, it proposes to expand the um, Affordable Care Act, and to many it seems like a costly, costly solution in search of a problem. So let's talk about a recent article that was published by the um, Galen Institute, and it kind of reads like this. <clears throat> and I'll make commentary along the way as we discuss some of this. But the American Recovery Act, which is what the Biden administration's $1.9 trillion response to the COVID-19 uh, pandemic is all about. That's what they describe it as, the American Recovery Act, although that's pretty questionable as a title. But it includes a $40 billion down payment on the president's plan to build on Obamacare. The bill's expansion of Obamacare, also known as the Affordable Care Act, as I mentioned earlier, has nothing to do with the pandemic and would do little to increase health insurance coverage and may even create disincentives for unemployed people to return to work. Most of the new spending that we're talking about in this bill will benefit those who already have heavily subsidized Obamacare coverage. Let me give you a couple of examples. For example, a 40-year-old with income of 150% of the federal poverty level, which is about a little over $19,000 a year, currently pays around $67 a month for insurance or or 4.14% of their income. The federal government pays the enrollees insurance for the balance. That's on average about $384 every month. So the individual 40-year-old gets about $400 a month, almost $4,800 a year in subsidies. Now, the bill would reduce that employee's monthly premium from $67 to zero, with the federal government spending the the entire insurance company check of about $451. In other words, there's a 17% increase on behalf of the person who already has subsidized coverage. Now, this so-called American Recovery Act would also create subsidies for people who earn too much currently to qualify for government assistance under current law. Those subsidies are now available only to those with incomes between 100 and 400 percent of the federal poverty level, or for an individual from $13,000 a year, basically, is the um, federal poverty level, up to $51,000 for an individual. So an individual making $51,000 a year is currently eligible for a subsidy. Well, the bill would eliminate even that income cap, creating a new entitlement for people in the top income brackets. Now, according to the Congressional Budget Office, which is the organization in Washington that does analysis of legislation, these expansions 
would increase the deficit by $34.2 billion over the next two years, but would do little to reduce the number of uninsureds. Roughly two-thirds of the amount that would benefit benefit people already enrolled in the Affordable Care Act. Notice it doesn't do very much in terms of increasing the number of uninsureds, but it certainly gives money out to those who are already being subsidized. And from a political standpoint, that tends to buy you more votes is because you give them more and more people more and more money. The increased subsidies would induce an estimated 400,000 people to drop their unsubsidized insurance coverage. In other words, some individual policies they might have, or even those working for small employers that have a smaller level of subsidized coverage than what this federal government program would do. And they would then switch to these federally subsidized programs that are sold through the exchanges. So you have 400,000 people that would move off of private insurance and into these exchanges, meaning they would have no cost whatsoever. And you know, you get what you pay well, for. Good. Because in the subsidized coverages under Obamacare, you may have a harder time getting the care that you want because there are very few companies that offer the product to begin with and those who offer products have very narrow networks. In other words, you can only go to a very limited number of providers. So it really doesn't give you the kind of health care that you really need or access to health care. It really gives you very limited choices. So the new subsidy regimen would be a effective retroactive to January 1st of 2021. That was immediately effective and would sunset on December 31st of 2022. Now, while limiting this increase in two years mass the full cost of these expansions, lawmakers will feel tremendous political pressure to extend them, pushing the final cost even higher. So they do that in Washington to create a uh, accounting trick, if you will, because the Congressional Budget Office can only analyze what is being proposed. And if it's a two-year period of time with this expansion of $34 billion, that doesn't sound like as much in Washington terms, of course, because billions of dollars sounds like an awful lot of money to most people in this country. But by limiting it to two years, knowing that it's going to be extended that extended period of time does not come under any kind of pricing assumption. So it looks like great idea doesn't cost us very much, but you know that's going to be extended and probably expanded into more, more and more subsidies after the first two years. It's a good way for government to sort of gradually creep into our lives where it's kind of like that um, uh, frog in the, um, in the hot water If you just turn it up a little bit, the frog doesn't notice until he's finally boiling uh, for supper. But as a consequence, if you throw him in right away, he uh, probably jumps out of the pot real quickly. Well, that's what's happening here. The federal government is kind of inching its way in slowly, 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 and using accounting and government analysis tricks uh, to bring all this into the general public and expanding more and more into your lives and, and creating a process for healthcare that you really don't want if you understood what the ramifications were of not getting the care when you need it. 
So the bill also makes this everyone who qualifies for unemployment compensation this year eligible for free Obamacare. So if you're unemployed, you're going to get free Obamacare. This is a significant expansion in the value of unemployment benefits. And it comes at a time when there are twice as many people collecting unemployment benefits as there are individuals who are unemployed. So what we really need to do is get back to encouraging businesses to reopen. Those people are unemployed. Many of them are workers from restaurants and support staff in various industries, people who are the, in some ways the working poor, but for their health care, working for an employer, the employer is providing some level of subsidy. And that's preferable for those who are interested in free market solutions to have employers subsidize the employees because the employer is getting the benefit of that work and is willing to provide some level of subsidy. But when the government is shutting down businesses around the country and mostly in these blue states, you create a large number of unemployed unnecessarily. And so what happens here is that we're trying to get more and more people unemployed to give them more benefits so that they'll vote Democrat who will more likely increase those benefits down the road. It's a very perverse process of trying to get this country back to full employment. Now, this Congressional Budget Office notes that most will take advantage of the news benefit would have otherwise enrolled in another form of coverage. Just like I said, most of the spending would be used to entice people with private coverage into government-subsidized health insurance exchanges rather than to reduce the ranks of the uninsured. So the people they're targeting either have insurance in some level of subsidy in the exchange where they're providing some small contribution to that, or they're working for small employers Or they could be working for small employers, but this whole program provides a rather adverse, almost dangerous level of subsidy that's going to work against us all getting back to work. So the CBO claims that this new benefit would affect incentives of most recipients to take a new job. It would disincentivize them from taking a new job because the size of the subsidies would become potentially dis- disincentives for that individual. For example, that 40-year-old we were talking about, unemployed insurance recipient, re- receives subsidies at $451 a month or over $5,400 per year, in addition to cash unemployment benefits, which includes a $400 federal bonus for the American Recovery Act. So they would lose this benefit if they return to work. And you have to bear most of the cost of the health insurance or drop their coverage entirely. Moreover, maintaining health insurance is one reason employers hang on to their jobs, at least until they find new ones. The prospect of free health insurance would not only eliminate this work incentive, but when coupled with additional $400 a week in unemployment insurance, would make many individuals financially better off unemployed than working. We can't have a country where you get more money if you're unemployed than if you're working. This added work, this incentive in the American Recovery Act could impede economic recovery and hurt unemployed workers in the long run by reducing their employment and income prospects. 
the administration decided to establish and open this new enrollment period from September 5th, from February 15th to May 15th, and it'll likely exacerbate the bill's fiscal effects. People who already have coverage, including the unemployed, will be able to switch to government-subsidized insurance over those three months. So what we really have is a tremendous expansion under this so-called COVID bill. The American Recovery Act is actually going to do the opposite. It's going to hurt employment. We know that before the COVID virus hit, that we had 3.5% unemployment. We know that there are jobs out there and that people can do them, and it's helping the economy. This kind of a program, this kind of additional subsidy to more and more people for more and more amounts, it's just going to hurt that potential recovery. Well, let's step back and really continue to analyze what's going on with health care, with the Biden administration, and the adverse, adverse effects of what this administration is trying to do. Let's take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back on America's Web Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, join me, Roger B., every Tuesday at 1400 hours right here on America's Web Radio for the Locked and Loaded Show. We will talk about guns, weapons, ammo, gun accessories, prepping, and so much more. So be sure to join us every Tuesday at 1400 or 2 p.m. for Locked and Loaded on America's Web Radio. Hey guys, it's Minister Frankie with Shine His Light Ministries. It's getting cold outside and winter is coming. It's time to shine a little light on our friends on the street. We're collecting blankets and coats for the homeless all winter long. Please donate by going to our website at www.shinehislightministry.com or text 770-655. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Web Radio. We're talking today about the Affordable Care Act and the expansion under the um, American Recovery Act of this $1.9 trillion expansion of the federal government in order to um, meet what some perceive as the real needs due to the uh, COVID slowdown of our economy. But, you know, Republicans have put forward a program for $600 billion, which actually targets the coronavirus needs and getting people back to work. So the Democrats clearly have put an extra $1.3 trillion into this boondoggle to pay off the blue states that have not been run very well to pay off uh, the Democratic progressive constituents out there, their various uh, liberal groups to give them more money just to promote and expand more liberalism and uh, in this country. So let's talk about this whole, what some would call cascade of blunders. Now, there's a fellow named Brian Blaze who works at both the Heritage Foundation and at the Galen Institute. And I read in the first segment of this week a number of um, ideas and information from his paper he's recently written. Well, here's some more from the Galen Institute that Brian is also a member of. He does an analysis of the health spending 
Bill, and we touched on a little bit of it. So let me dive a little bit more into this. Let me, uh, again, quote from some of his work and make commentary on it along the way. The COVID relief bill that's racing through Congress, and it just passed the House, is a huge giveaway to wealthy householders and health insurers. It will inflate health care costs and premiums and it exacerbates income inequality and sets the stage for a significant loss of employer-sponsored coverage. All those things are exactly the opposite of what the Democrats would say they want. Can you imagine Democrats putting in a bill that would exacerbate income inequality? That's what they've been talking about they need to solve. Well, it's typical they get involved in something and they actually make it worse rather than solving the problem. And they complain about people who actually decrease the income inequality, which is what President Trump did while he was in office. They don't want to inflate health care costs and premiums. That's what they say. But in fact, this will, in fact, inflate the costs of health care and increase premiums. And can you imagine Democratic program that is more of a giveaway to wealthy households? If Republicans had proposed some of this, the media would be all over them saying, yeah, we'll use more giveaway to your wealthy uh, donors. Well, Brian, in his the articles that he's written, explains that the health insurance subsidies and the $1.9 trillion American Recovery Act are wasteful, misguided, and can do long-term harm to the stability of employer-based health insurance where the majority of Americans get their coverage to begin with. Because of the distortions that are introduced in this bill, let me give you some more examples, as I did by a single individual in the first segment of this hour. Let me talk about now a 60-year-old couple with two kids that are making $112,000 a year. So the 60-year-old couple is making $112,000 a year. They would receive a benefit of $11,209. In contrast, a family of four making $39,000, regardless of the age of the couple, receives a benefit of just $1,600 from the proposal. So you can see somebody making more, making over $200,000, is going to get an over $11,000 benefit, where somebody making $40,000, only about 20% of that first couple, is only going to get about 15% of that first couple. They're going to get $1,600. In some parts of the country, households with more than $500,000 would now qualify for Obamacare premium tax credits, or what they call PTCs, premium tax credits. I'll give you an example. A 64-year-old couple in Kay County, Oklahoma, earning $500,000 a year, which faces a benchmark premium of almost $50,000 a year, would qualify for this premium tax credit of almost $6,000 a year. Now, does that make any sense that somebody making $500,000 a year would get $6,000 in premium credits? Well, the list goes on. The proposed premium tax credit expansion will benefit men more than women. Again, the opposite of what Democrats have always said they want to do, 
It's what Republicans have tried to do, but they don't get credit for improving the employment, the lives, the income of women. Somehow only the Democrats get that credit, but in fact their programs work the opposite way. So let's take an example. Since the average income of men is about $10,000 higher for men than women, and because this proposal provides greater benefits as incomes increase, it almost certainly benefits men more than women overall. That is particularly egregious because the Affordable Care Act increased premiums and cost sharing most significantly for older women. Yet the Democrats' proposal delivers the greatest benefits to older, upper-income men. Well, none of this really makes a whole lot of sense. So let's talk about uh, how this might impact the uninsured. Well, the CBO, the Congressional Budget Office, estimates that the two-year cost of the premium tax credit will be about $34 billion. We've mentioned that before. But will increase the number of insureds by only $800,000 in 2021 and $1.3 million in 2022. Therefore, on an annualized basis, this proposal boosts federal spending on the premium tax credit by about $17,000 a year for every person who is newly insured. According to the Congressional Budget Office, about 75% of new spending is on people who already have health insurance. Does this make any sense to anybody out there where we're trying to get people back to work and now all we're doing is talking about greater and greater subsidies for health insurance? Well, of course, what's going on here is that that old saying, don't let a good crisis go to waste. The Democrats are latching on, holding on to the whole COVID virus pandemic problem we have and trying to push through programs that they never could otherwise. And it shows the danger of how Saul Linsky, which I mentioned in last week's program, said, if you can control health care, you can control the population. And the Democrats, by taking more and more control of health care, are going to wind up with more and more control over the population. I mean, clearly the election in Georgia was based to a large degree, admitted by the Democrat candidates who won those elections, that they won on the basis of saying, elect me and we'll get you $2,000 checks. Well, now they're going to get them more than $2,000 checks. They're going to get $1,400 in direct payment, which people are complaining, well, you said it was going to be $2,000. Well, that plus Trump's $600 gives them $2,000. But if the people really understood the health care subsidies, they're going to get, get them even more and lock them in on a long-term basis because it's not a one-time check. It's an increase going forward for every year into the future. Well, how's this going to hit job-based health insurance? Well, millions of workers ultimately could lose their employer-based insurance. Under these Democratic subsidy expansion proposals, American businesses, particularly firms with fewer than 50 workers, and those with lower income and older workforces, would have large financial incentives to stop offering group health coverage. Startup firms would have disincentives to offer group insurance from the very beginning. So all this works in a very perverse way to remove health insurance from the private market, from employer subsidies, and move it into government subsidies. 
So this is all just a back doorway for government-run health insurance. Such a huge subsidy expansion would lead to millions and potentially tens of millions of people shifting from employer-sponsored insurance to the much more heavily subsidized exchange plans. By limiting the premium tax credit expansion to two years and declining and decline the employer-subsidized insurance, it may sound small, but a government subsidy program, once it's begun, is almost impossible to stop. We mentioned that earlier. This is a funny way that Washington does its calculations and its numbers so that the cost of the program looks small, but we know that in the long term, it's much larger. But the Congressional Budget Office is not allowed to assume the extension of a program. They cut it off based upon the bill that's actually provided. And we know the politics is such that that never happens. So this all can cause a huge, large decline in employers offering health insurance. Well, what about health care inflation? These expanded premium tax credits will increase health care inflation, pushing up health care prices and premiums. Total health care spending will ratchet up, which is why the health care industry and the insurance companies enthusiastically support this proposal. Insurance companies used to hate these kinds of expansion of government programs, but more and more money is being put into the system by the federal government and less and less risk is being taken by the insurance industry. So they're going to make their money from administrative fees, and that's the Achilles heel of the insurance industry because they really don't want to be in the business they're supposed to be in, and that is sharing risk, spreading risk for the general public. They've learned they can make more money without taking risk and let the federal government take the risk. federal government is the only entity that's large enough and it has enough arrogance to it to take on the risk of health insurance, which means they also get the power of health insurance because whoever pays the bill is the one that gets the attention. So, again, the government will get the attention from the health care providers because they're paying the bill, and the patient is not going to be given the attention. They'll be given longer waiting times. They'll be giving poor service, and the cost of the service they get will be increased with higher deductibles, higher co-pays, and most important, these long waiting times. So the health insurance companies are actually overwhelming beneficiaries of the Democratic proposal to expand the Affordable Care Act. Exacerbating health care inflation, they'll get more money. And expanding the number of people receiving premium tax credits means that more and more consumers are insensitive to premium increases. It really gets back to the old comment by Karl Marx, He said, the American capitalist, in this case the insurance industry, will sell you the noose that you hang them by. That's what's happening here, is the insurance industry is being coerced out of its role as a risk provider to make money on support services. And the federal government will fill that void happily in order to gain the power of controlling people's health and health care services. That's what's going on. It's very pernicious. It's dangerous. But yet, that's what's about to happen if this bill is passed. And nobody is talking about this in these terms, except organizations like the Galen Institute, Doug Badger, who works there, 
Brian Blaze, who works there, and the Heritage Foundation. So I want to use this opportunity with America's Web Radio to warn everybody about what's really happening out there. Let's take another break, and we're going to come back, and we're going to continue to pursue some of these ideas. Want to give your family or loved one the perfect gift? Then go online and check out the TornadoBodyDryer.com. I love mine and the warm heat air massage it gives me after my shower. The Tornado Body Dryer is super. You'll love it and you'll love having one in your shower. Hey folks, this is Victor with the On Point with Victor show. Make sure you listen every Tuesday 1 to 2, only right here on America's Web Radio, the On Point with Victor show. Remember folks, I'm not angry, I'm just right. And you can find out why every Tuesday from 1 to 2, the On Point with Victor show, only right here on America's Web Radio. If you live to serve and want to make an even bigger difference, consider joining the U.S. Army. With training in fields like medical care, linguistics, and engineering, an Army career can amplify your efforts with humanitarian opportunities all over the world. Plus, you'll receive competitive pay and incredible benefits, so you'll be taken care of, too. Learn more at GoArmy.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Web Radio. This is Ron Bachman again, and we are talking about the Democrats' proposal, this $1.9 trillion economic recovery package, COVID package, call it what you will. The real key here is around its expansion of Obamacare, which may be only a small part, or at least appears to be a small part of this COVID release. But first of all, it has nothing to do with COVID release. And it has everything to do about just the expansion of Obamacare and more and more federal control. But I want to read from another blog that's been going on from another free market organization, the Cato Institute, and a Mr. Michael Cannon. Now, he's written an article entitled Obamacare, Democrats Promise Throwing $36 billion at Health Insurance Companies Will Work This Time. In other words... It looks like $36 billion is going to individuals, but the reality is it's going to insurance companies. So the big insurance companies are actually in favor of all this because they're going to get more money through premiums paid for by the federal government. What better business to be in than be in a business where your product is sold and paid for at a premium to the federal government? So this bill has already passed the House as we're speaking. But those House Democrats were proposing a temporary but a massive 34 to $36 billion increase in subsidies for Obamacare. Well, that's built into the program now, so they're no longer really proposing it. They've actually passed it. And it offers the largest subsidies to high-income earners. It would offer more subsidies on behalf of men than women and would cover few previously uninsured individuals, and at a very high cost. Perhaps worst of all, in the name of affordability, it would push health care prices and health insurance premiums even higher. So this whole idea of affordability is really, a, you know, like a 1984 book would say, they use words that really mean the opposite of what they're doing. So let me give you some examples again and go through some of this that we've talked about in the previous uh, segments this week. 
Obamacare currently issues premium subsidies for people who buy their insurance on exchange, federal exchanges, and they do that on behalf of the enrollees who earn between 100 and 400 percent of the federal poverty level. So that's the group that currently gets some subsidies. In, in, in plain English, that's individuals earning about $13,000 a year to $51,000 a year because nobody really knows what the federal poverty level is. That's not what anybody outside of Washington talks about. So let's keep it real. We're talking about individuals that earn between $13,000 and $51,000 a year and families of four, so mom and dad and two kids that earn between $26,000 a year and $106,000 a year. In states that have implemented Obamacare's Medicaid expansion, the subsidies for the exchanges actually begin at 138% of the federal poverty level, which is about $18,000 for individuals and $36,000 for families of four. Enrollees at the low end of the scale typically get the largest subsidies. Subsidies decline as income rises and then disappear at 400% of the federal poverty level. Again, an individual earning $52,000 a year or a family of four making $106,000 a year. And what they have to face then at that point is they must face Obamacare's inflated premiums on their own. So all this kind of change might help people at lower income, but it increases costs for everybody along the way. Obamacare issues premium subsidies on behalf of enrollees rather than two enrollees because the enrollee never sees that money. It's not like you're going to get some real subsidy from the federal government. It's going to go to the insurance company, and they just feast at this trough of federal money. The IRS takes the money out of workers' paychecks, yes, even with refundable tax credits, and it sends it directly to private health insurance companies. Now, this Democratic plan would increase the subsidies by 34 to $36 billion over two years. And after that, the subsidies would supposedly disappear. But they never do. As the old saying goes in Washington, nothing, nothing is so permanent as a temporary government program. They will go on and on. So that Congressional Budget Office that we've talked about so far today says that people with incomes of over 400% of the federal poverty level, again, $106,000 for a family of four, who are older or enrolled in family policies or in insurance rating areas with especially high premiums would experience the greatest reduction in net premiums for themselves. What does that mean in plain English again? It means that the proposal would offer its largest subsidies on behalf of high-income earners and people whose insurance companies charge the most. The table I'm going to describe in a minute shows that a 64-year-old earning $19,000 a year would get $800 from this proposal, while somebody at the same age earning $58,000 a year would get $7,800 as a subsidy. So let's take a look at a family of four. That was just for an individual. With a family of four, the 60-year-old head of household earns $210,000 a year. They would receive a subsidy of 
$11,400. And since men tend to earn more than women, this also means the proposal offers more subsidies on behalf of men than women. So after Obamacare increased premiums for nearly for nearly elderly women more than any other group, the Democrats' Medicare expansion proposal, the Obamacare expansion proposal, would offer greater subsidies to nearly elderly men by virtue of their higher incomes. So none of it really makes any sense in terms of the direction we would like to help people to get them jobs, to get them employed, to get their employer to subsidize. No, Democrats want people to come out of the workforce, become uninsured, and let the federal government take care of them with housing and food, educational subsidies, health care subsidies, make everybody dependent on the federal government. So the CBO estimates that the full effect in 2022, uh, this proposal will be to cover 1.3 million previously uninsured people at a cost of almost $22 billion. That traits, translates into the cost for every new insured individual. You recognize how much it's going to cost for each insured individual? Almost $17,000 a year. By comparison, the CBO's estimate of the national average benchmark for Obamacare premiums for 64-year-olds, the highest is about $13,000 a year. So they're actually going to subsidize the insurance companies more than the average cost of insurance. Makes no sense. We are in a bizarro world right now when it comes to what the Democrats are proposing and the impact in the health care area. Well, the Obamacare supporters object that it is unfair to claim this proposal shortchanges low-income Obamacare enrollees in favor of high-income enrollees. They will note that the proposal would make benchmark coverage free for many enrollees, including all three low-income earners in that table that we were talking about between ages 21 to 64 is going to give them an extra $800. But what they want, don't want to talk about is that the higher income could get up to almost $8,000. Yet Congress, they're saying, should subsidize low-income employees more. The only health care plans this proposal would make free are those with premiums equal or lower than the benchmark silver plans. House Democrats, which have already passed all this, have proposed to make more comprehensive the gold and platinum plans available free to low-income enrollees. Now, all that does is mean that they're not going to have as much access to providers as they would if they had um, employer-based coverage because the exchange-based coverages are very narrow and limit what providers you can use, narrow networks. But President Biden offered such a proposal during his presidential campaign, so he's living up to his promise, I guess. And the Democrats have made a deliberate policy choice to offer more subsidies on behalf of higher-income enrollees rather than spend those funds on behalf of lower-income enrollees. So, you know, even the uh, Kaiser Family Foundation, which is uh, supposedly nonpartisan, it argues it is necessary that these subsidies be so large 
and reached so high up the income scale because high prices paid to providers had made health insurance so expensive that even some people making $100,000 a year have to pay more than 10% of their pre-tax income on health insurance. Well, that's only because they're not assuming people have employer-based insurance where the employer subsidized 50 to 75% of the cost. Isn't that a better system? Why can't people understand having employers subsidized coverage is a lot better for our overall economy than having the government subsidized, which keeps people out of the employed marketplace. So you want to create incentives to go and get a job. That's what all this is about. It's about encouraging people to go get a job, to get subsidies for health insurance, to get income for their family, to be able to pay their bills, their mortgage, their car payments, contribute to the community, whatever it takes. But all this is moving people out of the private market, which means we're going to have high unemployment as we go down the road. It's going to be baked into the system. So leave aside that Obamacare supporters have always made reducing the number of uninsured, not only their primary uh, measure of success, but even their primary metric of affordability. Leave aside that these subsidies will do nothing to change the inefficiency, the inadequacy of Obamacare coverage. Recent study by the American Economic Journal notes that even currently healthy consumers cannot be adequately insured under Obamacare. So the problem with claiming Congress must respond to these high health care prices and high health insurance premiums with subsidies is that subsidies cause even higher prices and health care premiums. Remember, we've been under Obamacare for 10 years. And did it lower the price as was promised? Remember that promise that it was going to lower the family's premium in 2010 by $2,500? It didn't do that. It raised premiums. And it's continuing to raise premiums because what happens anytime the federal government gets involved, costs go up, prices go up because the federal government makes it look like it's free. And so people who can increase prices with the government paying the bill will increase the prices. In a free market, you have competition, which drives down prices. In government control, you have a government running a printing press that will just pay whatever the people says it pays. The government doesn't negotiate. The government doesn't force any reduction in premiums. They just keep paying more and more and more to the insurance company and the industry. Well, let's take another break, and we'll come back and continue our discussion around these critical items of Obamacare, Biden's proposals, COVID-19, fake policy changes that are destroying the potential for a real expansion and free market solutions. We'll be right back. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, join me, Roger B., every Tuesday at 1400 hours right here on America's Web Radio for the Locked and Loaded Show. We will talk about guns, weapons, ammo, gun accessories, prepping, and so much more. So be sure to join us every Tuesday at 1400 or 2 p.m. for Locked and Loaded on America's Web Radio. Get your pen and paper ready. If there's a move in your near future, I'm here to tell you that the folks I used and now recommend is around town movers timothy and the guys recently moved me and i am and was totally satisfied with a sometimes not so fun experience moving 
Call Timothy at 770-378-4708 and make it a good move and a good experience around town movers for that local or cross-country move. Timothy, around town movers, in my opinion, are the best. That's around town movers. Call them. Hey guys, it's Minister Frankie with Shine His Light Ministries. It's getting cold outside and winter is coming. It's time to shine a little light on our friends on the street. We're collecting blankets and coats for the homeless all winter long. Please donate by going to our website at www.shinehislightministry.com or text 770-655-8055. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Web Radio. We've been talking about Biden's $1.9 trillion COVID relief package, American relief package. Call it what you will. It's not going to do the things that it purports to do in terms of health care, health insurance. We know that it really has nothing to do with COVID. They're just using that as a vehicle in order to pass some legislation. So it's tucked in there and you don't hear much about the changes that it's proposing to healthcare. Well, let's talk about something that's likely to come immediately after this package is passed and it's going to have a dramatic impact on health insurance in the United States. Now, during the Trump administration, something was done that created competition within the marketplace, the individual marketplace, just by changing rules and regulations. And the Obama administration is coming after all those rules and regulations that the Trump administration passed. It's almost like whatever he did must be wrong, so we have to reverse it. Well, let's talk about freedom, freedom in health care. Given freedom to purchase health coverage, some people will choose their plans that contain fewer benefits or that charge lower premiums for people with lower expected medical claims. Many political leaders, however, believe that government should allow plans to be sold only if they cover a prescribed set of benefits and charge people of similar ages the same premium regardless of their health status. Though it's one size fits all, both in coverage and in price. The conflict between the premium that some Americans desire to purchase less regulated health coverage and the preferences of some government leaders to restrict that freedom has caused deep divisions at the federal and state levels, and that's happened now for more than a decade. However, evidence is emerging to suggest that a free market can coexist with a more regulated and subsidized market. In other words, we don't have to go all government if we have some competition and free market and choices for consumers that are available outside of those who absolutely need more subsidies, need the full coverage that the government might be able to provide. So because the Affordable Care Act, people are guaranteed the opportunity to buy health insurance that covers 10 essential benefits. They call them essential benefits in, in the ACA law. It also provides pre-existing condition protections and charges healthy and sick people the same, of the same age, the same premium if they buy coverage during designated enrollment periods. However, many people 
particularly those who earn a middle income or above, have been priced out of the market because of how significantly the Affordable Care Act has increased premiums and deductibles. Lower income people can qualify for large subsidies to purchase the Affordable Care Act and largely have been held harmless by premium increases. They do suffer from the high deductibles that have occurred because of people trying to have some rational level of pricing. So nobody really escapes the cost, whether it's the premiums, whether it's the deductibles, whether it's the co-payments, whether it's longer waiting times, or whether it's I can't get into the doctors because he's booked up. And so I just can't get the service even though I've got a, an insurance card. So what would happen if we created some competition? Well, one alternative to the Affordable Care Act in the individual marketplace is short-term, limited-duration insurance. Now, these plans permit millions of people the opportunity to purchase coverage that is affordable and flexible. And a 2018 rule by the Departments of Health and Human Services, the Labor Department, and Treasury, so all three, increase the amount of time short-term coverage could last, so it basically lasts up to one year, with renewals permitted for up to three years. So you can have three years of short-term coverage of the plan you want. Now, what happened with that? An estimated 3 million people enrolled in the coverage at some point in 2019 after it was and the ruling was established in 2018. Again, you got to recognize this was not a law. This was an interpretation and a rule set out by the federal government that allowed for this that had previously been not allowed under the Obama administration. Well, critics of that short-term plan and the 2018 rule argue that plans would lead to adverse selection in the individual market as some relatively healthy people drop more expensive individual market plans and replace them with the more affordable short-term plans. They've warned that the 2018 rule would lead to fewer individual market enrollees, fewer insurers offering individual market plans, and higher premiums for individual market plans. You had these so-called elites, academics, say things like, by drawing healthy people away from the Affordable Care Act qualifying plans, short-term plans make the Affordable Care Act qualifying coverage less affordable. That was published in the Journal of American Medical Association by people who are supposed to know better, but they don't. Some policy experts have proposed significant federal restrictions on short-term plans that would effectively take away these plans from millions of people who have them and deny options to tens of millions of people who would benefit from them in the future. Furthermore, these restrictions would be inconsistent with one of President Biden's promises during his campaign. If you have private insurance, you can keep private insurance. Of course, we heard that same statement made in the Obama administration, and we know that that was a lie, and this is about to become the same kind of a lie just to expand the Affordable Care Act. Well, given that um, policy experts have differed, on this whole idea of the impact of short-term products being available. Um, let's see how it actually works out, because fortunately, in some states, they've permitted short-term plans to the full extent of the federal law and allows, while others have placed restrictions on these plans. So we have states that yes and no on short-term plans, and we can measure and check what happens in one state versus states that didn't do this. So it's a perfect experimental lab. 
Well, perhaps surprising, perhaps not surprising. It turns out the states that fully permit short-term plans have had a much more favorable experience in the individual market since the 2018 rule took effect. States that permit short-term plans have lost fewer enrollees in the individual market and have had far more insurers offer coverage in the market and have had larger premium reductions since the 2018 rule went into effect. The only states where individual market premiums have increased since 2018 are the five states that effectively prohibit prohibit short-term plans. So contrary to projections, the evidence shows that the 2018 rule expanding short-term options not only expanded consumer choice of coverage and reduced the number of uninsured, but also had no adverse impact on the individual market. The 2018 short-term plan rule may have, in fact, helped improve the individual market. This could have occurred because short-term plans forced insurers selling the ACA-compliant products to offer more attractive products because of the added competition. And because people with short-term plans who got sick or injured had short-term plans pay their expenses instead of moving to the individual market to get coverage to pay for their expenses. So what we really have happened here is a test of competition. Does competition help or does competition hurt? Is the federal government doing everything the best way to go or is there a counterbalance that forces efficiencies in a market-based system? Well, the evidence is clear. Where you have options, people will choose those options that are better for them at lower prices, at better coverage for what they want, and it affects the other block of business that's under government insurance because those plans have to be more competitive and better prices in order to keep people from shifting or to draw people back. And in fact, when people have the short-term plan and they have coverage for what they need, they don't go back as would otherwise be allowed to go back into the government plans and have them pick up all the bills. So you have insurance going one way or the other. So let's summarize these gloom and doom predictions that were made that kind of prevented the individual marketplace from having choices. Well, the variation in state regulatory approaches to these short-term plans allows for this test. Other critics hypothesis that they would inflict damage on the Affordable Care Act individual market. For example, um, Margaret Murray and Heather Foster, who represent a coalition of insurers that sell individual market products, and which has unsuccessfully sued to undo the 2008 rule, recently wrote in the short-term of the short-term plans that they have a destabilizing effect on the entire health insurance market, leading to higher premiums for millions of Americans because the short-term limited-duration insurance is much cheaper than the Affordable Care Act-compliant coverage for healthy individuals. It is likely that healthy people will abandon the Affordable Care Act plans that, and it will seriously undermine the Affordable Care Act pool. Well, in 2018, several organizations, including governmental entities such as the Congressional, Congressional Budget Office and the Office of the Actuary at the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, 
policy organizations such as the Urban Institute and the Commonwealth Fund and actual firms such as Wakely Group projected the impact of the rule expanding short-term plans. All the organizations acknowledged that their estimates were subject to significant uncertainty. Adding significant uncertainty to the organization's projections was that the tax penalty associated with the Affordable Care Act's individual mandate was zeroed out beginning on January 1, 2019. Only three months after the rule of expanding short-term plans took effect, this major tax change made it difficult to interpret the marginal impact of just short-term rule expansion since many studies blended the impact of eliminating the penalty with the short-term plan expansion. Well, obviously, that had a great impact. You no longer were penalized for not having the Affordable Care Act mandated coverage. You could actually go to something else and not have the penalty. In the past, if you went to the short-term plans, which were not even allowed under Obamacare, you would have to pay a penalty. Now, you don't pay a penalty. You pay a premium for a a plan that better suits your needs, and everybody is in a win-win situation except for these liberals who want to take over the federal government uh, in terms of uh, health care, uh, mandating everything that you can do and what you can get, the care that you get, how much you get covered, and the providers you can go for. So people were just wrong. The consensus was that the people – who eschewed the individual marketplace plans for short-term plans would be healthier, and it turned out to be the opposite. And on average, the individual market premiums were projected to increase about 2 to 3%. Well, most people who purchase coverage in the individual market would not be negatively affected by the premium increase as the structure of the ACA premium tax credit holds that people eligible for subsidies harmless from any premium increases. So it didn't have any impact on the individual. The effect on the federal deficit was also likely to be very small, with some projections showing a slight increase and others showing a slight decrease. So at the end of the day, what we learn over and over again, I don't know why we have to keep learning this lesson, is that the so-called experts in academia and in the government making predictions when it involves the analysis of what happens with free market and choice and personal responsibility, they're always wrong. Let's see if we can't find ways to actually either hold on to what we have or to try to expand at the margins until we can change Congress. Well, that's it for this week. I appreciate your time and attention. I hope some of these ideas have created the lost truth about what's going on in Washington and that you'll join us again next week as we go into Healthcare Insight. You've been listening to America's Web Radio. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.